Anyways, thanks guys for tuning in to another episode of For the Rebels Podcast. I got my buddy, Andrew King. That's me. That's him. And um, sorry it's been so long. It's been like three weeks. It's just, I'm. we're all busy. It's summer. We got a lot of stuff going on. and A lot more important things than making a podcast, if I'm being dead honest. So anyway, but this is God's word and there's nothing more important than God's word. And uh, nothing is more important than God's revelation to us. So me and Kay are going to be talking about that. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the foreshadowings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So that's going to be super exciting. And uh, the word we might use interchangeably. So we have foreshadowing and typology or types of Jesus in the Old Testament. So typology would be the study of Jesus in the Old Testament. So yeah. theological fancy word. Yeah. And I don't know why you have to use the word typology. You don't have to, but people do. And I guess yeah. people like to Same flex thing. their brains around, I guess. Yeah. But that's what people say. So anyway. um, So before we get started, I had this question I was thinking about. Right. This is a question I want to ask the audience. This is super interesting. So uh, I have it written down here. So I was like, "Do you love Jesus?" That's the that's the end of the question. At the end of the day, the question is, "Do you love Jesus?" Because a lot of people love the theology and the study and the philosophy and the soci the sociology and the study of like your brain that's like found in the Bible, and they love seeing like all the miracles that God performs in our lives. They love gaining knowledge about the Bible, right? And they love studying the facts and all the nerdy stuff that comes along with the Bible and all the history. But like the real question at the end of the day is like, do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus more than anything else? And is he your highest treasure? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the most important question. That's the most important question. And so, like, I thought that'd be a really good way to start this off because we're going to be studying the Old Testament and we're going to be seeing Jesus, our Savior, in the Old Testament today, and it's going to be super cool, super exciting. So, all right, guys, uh, we have a lot of Bible verses that we're going to start off with today, and uh, part of that reason is just because we're going to be showing you about the foreshadowings of Jesus in the Old Testament, and we're going to use the Bible to explain that. And you don't have to have a Bible on you, obviously, like if you listen while you're driving, don't pull your Bible out of your center console and read your Bible while you're driving. That'd be pretty bad. That's a Wait, good way do to you, die. Do you have a Bible in your center console? No. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Some people probably do that. Yeah. Probably it's probably the ESV people, the, the extra, extra spiritual. spiritual people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Extra spiritual version. <laughs> That's what I'm reading. Anyway. Yeah, actually guys, I'm switching over. I'm gonna try the NLT today. That way, uh just to mix it up, right? Just to mix it up. So anyway, all right. King. Let's get going here, buddy. Uh, so let's start in Luke 24. Tell us about the road to Emmaus. Tell us about the importance of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Should tell, I tell me the story? Should I tell the story or should I read the story? Tell, tell the story, read the story, however you feel like doing. Okay. Um. So I'll just give just tell it, you know yeah, just a short just rundown. Just short rundown because we got of, a lot of stuff here. So let's just do a short rundown. All right. right. Cliff Notes version of the road to Emmaus. If you want to read it for yourself, it's found um, in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. And basically, Christ had just died. Um, he had just risen. And he had not appeared to anyone except um, the women at the tomb. That was the only people he had appeared to at this point. And he uh, appeared to two men who were on the road to Emmaus. That's what we know about them. They were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We don't have their names. We don't have their names. We don't know if they were, you know, 
super rich, wealthy people or if they were poor people. We have not important. No idea. Not important at this point. They were two men who were walking. And this walk was like seven-ish miles. So it was, was, you know, it was a hike, but it wasn't like forever. Anyway, um, and on that road, Jesus appeared to them and he started asking them like, like, why are you guys like so down and out? Like, what what's up with you guys? And um, they were like, well, like the guy who we were following around, like he just died. And like, don't you know, like Jesus? And he's like, no, like, well, who is this guy? Um, and so they like, they're like, explain what he did, all the miracles that he did, um, all the teaching that he did. And, and Jesus basically just played dumb. He, he basically was, you know, like undercover boss man, just like, you know, playing around with the employees, acting like one of them and actually had no clue what was going on. And then, uh, he then proceeds to, um, in verse, uh, 25. Nope. This one should be underlined, King. You should have this well, underlined this is, okay. in your Bible. This is, this is my new Bible. This is just oh, my study okay. Bible. So it's not like my, <laughs> you know, read up, bent pages, cried on pages Bible. Um, so anyway, so he goes on and explains to them what all of everything concerning himself in the Old Testament. Yeah. That's that's basically he goes in Moses, Psalm, the prophets, all that himself in scripture. And then he just well then he goes has dinner with them then disappears then appears to the disciples uh, a little while later um so that's that's the story um it's and written. the main part of the story that we want to hit home right is the idea that Christ explained to these two men everything in the law and prophets concerning yes. himself and the, and he says um that well he says to his disciples that his they, he opened their eyes like yeah. he had to Crip. open their eyes so that they could see everything concerning himself yeah um and before that they didn't they j- were blind to which it. is crazy the the power right of god <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the sovereignty yeah. of god that he that he can do that <laughs> truly amazing and we need him to open up our minds to understand the scriptures and if we've been born again I, I believe that we have our minds opened up to understand the scriptures. So that's a super cool story about Jesus in the Old Testament. And obviously Jesus believes that he is in all the Old Testament. Uh, I guess I'll read the first Corinthians passage. So uh, this is first Corinthians chapter 10. This is verse one. And I'm going to start here. This is NLT. Paul says, I don't want you to forget dear brothers and sisters about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So the rock that the Israelites drank on in the wilderness was Christ. Which and the is, manna, the manna that fed from he- fell from heaven, yeah, like it was basically like the bread and the wine of of the Old Testament. Yeah. So this is like 
basically what Paul is pointing out here in first Corinthians 10 is like the sacraments. Mm -hmm. So like you have the baptism of water, which parallels right to the Israelites crossing the red sea. That's a parallel or a foreshadowing of that. And then the foreshadowing of the sacrament of like the communion, the, the body being the bread and the wine being the blood is the rock that the the Israelites drank from in the wilderness and the manna that they received from heaven, which is Exodus 16 and 17. So that's a direct quotation and like a direct quotation of that. Yeah, so and that's in, the, that's in the New Testament. That sounds yeah. like it's like fully Old Testament stuff talking about people of Israel, which it is. Yeah. But it's it's Paul explaining what that was about. Yeah. Explaining what went on there. So these events took place in the in God's historical redemptive plan of history. They took place for many reasons, but one of them was to foreshadow what would happen in final redemption found in Christ. And so we can read our Bibles with this understanding of Christ's final redemption. And uh, that it, it, Christ is all over the New Old Testament. We're going to keep on going. King, keep on going here. Uh, you want to do First Peter 3? First Peter three. Yes, First Peter three. What verses? Yeah, eighteen to twenty-one. Eighteen to twenty-one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First Peter three, eighteen to twenty-one. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. When the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Yeah. So there's a lot there, right? There's a lot that, there. That's but that, just insane. <laughs> that that that's a loaded like passage. That, that's the first time I read that, and I don't know how long, but that's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So like, what what Peter's literally saying there is that in the days of Noah, like it, there's this representation, this foreshadowing of baptism mm-hmm. in that, and I, it's all over the Old Testament, and I feel like so many times we we read the Old Testament, and we're like, oh, I can't apply the Old Testament to my life. I have to be a biblical scholar, or I have to be like a Messianic Jew, or I have to check out every single stinking book in the my local library just to understand the Old Testament, right? And really, at the heart, right, of God's Word that's been given to us in this Bible is this idea of the sufficiency of Scripture. And it's that anybody can read the scriptures. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for for reproof, and for correction, and training in righteousness. Mm -hmm. So it's this idea that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, like we can read the scriptures and we can use the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. Yeah, like this just does all the work for you. Yeah. Like it's right there interpreting what was before. And what is interesting is like, who like this is divinely inspired like the old testament is just as inspired as the new testament yeah and so god inspired peter to write this concerning the old testament concerning what was already written what had already happened as showing 
the importance of it. It's not that God in looking back was like, oh, I can, I can, you know, connect the dots. Like that makes sense now. No, yeah. God planned that from eternity past. Yeah. So that Peter could write this now. Oh yeah. So like it's understand that the whole of scripture as this continuing story. Right. And so like understanding the, the scriptures in a historical redemptive sense mm-hmm. is the idea that we're getting at here. And so like there's this is all over the New Testament. And you guys can find this, like do this work for yourself and and understand the scriptures in this way. Uh, so this actually let's go to John six, verse thirty two. King, can you pull that up real quick? I don't have that. I just have the reference down. So we were talking about Jesus being the bread of life. Right. And Jesus being the rock in the wilderness. Right. So we made that connection. So in John 6, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. Oh, he said John 6, 32. Yeah, this is John 6, 32. John 6, 32 says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Yeah. And the true bread being Jesus himself. Yep. Or salvation. He's... Anyway, He's so there, there's et- eternal food. Yeah, and so Jesus makes this connection. Uh, let's keep on going. You want to keep on going with this? Do you got more from I the got New Testament? From or, New Testament. All right, go for let's it. Let's go. Go to John. Go to John three fourteen. John three fourteen. Yeah. So everyone always talks about like John three sixteen, right? Like for God so loved the world, right? And this is hundred percent true. It's beautiful. It's probably the most beautiful verse in the whole New Testament. I'd say, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's beautiful, but. I don't know. Just read it, King. All right. Just I'll read, read I'll read John 14, 15, and 16. Okay. Yeah. Read it. Or verses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and as Moses was lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might be saved through him. Yeah. And we must remember like, oh, what, some of you guys might be like, oh, what was serpent, Moses, what, what's going on there? Yeah. In the Old Testament, and Trent, maybe you can. Numbers 21. Nine. Is it Numbers 21, 9? You want to find that? Well, yeah, keep I, talking. I'll yeah, keep talking. You tell me about it. So there was, was it because of the golden calf? No, it's because they're being like normal human beings well, and they're grumbling and complaining. No, but why did, they were getting sick. Yeah, because... And then there were serpents. Because they were compared. I'll read it. Okay, so this is Numbers 21.9. Then the people of Israel sent out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Adam. But the people grew impatient with the long journey and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt here to die in the wilderness? They complained... There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And there's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. <laughs> Why are we laughing? I don't know. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to the pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. 
Boom. So in the same way that the Israelites looked on the bronze serpent on the pole, the same way the Israelites looked at the pole for their temporary salvation, we look to Jesus Christ and the cross and the pole which he was hung on for our eternal and final salvation. And Jesus makes this connection. He does. And in Hebrews 12, 2, yeah. it says, looking unto Jesus, just in the same way that the Israelites looked to the... Ser- it was literally just a hunk of metal that looked like a snake on a pole. Yeah. Nothing nothing special. But God used that to have the people of Israel have faith in that. And their yeah. faith in that, it wasn't specifically in that context, the snake on the pole but it was their faith that it would heal them. In the same way, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah, that's amazing. In the same way that they looked to that pole and the snake, we look to Christ who suffered for our sake and endured the cross despised the shame that was truly ours to bear um to give us eternal life so that uh, one day we might um dwell with him yeah and it's it's insane that jesus makes this connection like this is while this god truly did this as a miracle as an act of grace towards the israelites people like you can view it in that sense and that's correct, but it was also a foreshadowing of the promised Messiah mm-hmm. and being able to like look back at redemptive history and be like, wow, that points right to Jesus is amazing. Literally amazing. So, um, so we just kind of hashed through some like real quick and there's more, there's more, there's, you know, examples in the new Testament of new of, Testament in the new Testament. Uh, so Jesus talks about being in, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the so, son of man so, yep. must be in the earth. That's another example. I don't even have all of them. There's even more than that. Yep. So um, we just honestly don't have time to go through all of them. No, and not really. even in Revelation, we could get into that. It doesn't matter. But literally, Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. Um. So that, actually, I do have that down. That is Matthew twelve forty. If you want to look into that. Mm-hmm. You guys can check out Matthew twelve forty. Um, so King, we're we're gonna get more into like other uh, examples of Jesus in the Old Testament that aren't explicit in the New Testament. So we kind of want to hash through that. And um, there's there's sort of two camps when it comes to this. Yeah. Uh, some people believe that we are only to look at those examples of Jesus that are mentioned in the Old Testament that are explicitly yeah, told and that us. Camp's wrong. And well, it. it it's but cautious. It's, ca- it's, a, it's, it's cautious. A, it's a cautious camp. It's cautious, but and I understand. Yeah, like yeah, I completely yeah. understand why they yeah. believe that, but I think there it can like purposely yeah. avoid other oh, pretty yeah. pretty obvious examples of Jesus in the Old yeah. Testament. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to look at some of those other examples yeah. that don't <laughs> show up and aren't quoted in, in the New Testament. Yeah. Well, and anyway, so like the Passover lamb is yep. like one of them, and. I mean, now I know the Passover lamb is like, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. And that's that's literally a beautiful one. King, do you just want to tell us that story of the Passover lamb? Yeah, so... I, 
Exodus 12. Because, I mean, like, that, that's literally... <laughs> yeah. That's Jesus, It doesn't, doesn't get any more <laughs> it's hard explicit that. than that. Yeah. So, um, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, the God sent ten plagues against the Egyptians, and the tenth plague was to kill every firstborn. Every firstborn um, was to die, and the way that the people of Israel would escape this was that they'd have to kill a lamb and wipe with a hyssop branch the blood of this lamb on the doorpost of their house. And the angel of death, seeing that blood that was spilled, would pass over their house and not destroy the firstborn. And they all did this. All the people of Israel did this. None of their firstborn died. All of the firstborn of Egypt died. And it was because they passed over that house. Um, and that's in the same way the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, had to die on our behalf to pass over our sins and our shame and all of our junk. Um, and that showed up then. That was, And even before that, the whole sacrificial system of yeah of the um people of israel shows up first first example of that is in the garden of eden when adam and eve sin against god they are trying to hide their nakedness they use sew fig leaves together to try to cover themselves up cover their shame um up and god kills for them the first thing to be killed um so that they can be covered up with skins, not, um, not just leaves. Yeah. So God, in a sense, makes a sacrifice for the sins of Adam. Yeah, to cover up yeah. the sins of that, and that's where, um, from that, God creates the whole sacrificial system, which is purely pointing to Christ. To Christ. Uh, so I I have this excerpt from a David Murray book. It's called Jesus on Every Page. Uh, uh, it completely changed the way I read the Bible. It, it's stinking amazing. So this is him talking about the Passover lamb. He says, The Passover lamb is a small scale, simple outline drawing of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It is easier to understand a spotless lamb than a sinless human nature. It is easier to understand a lamb's death than the death of the Son of God. It is easier to understand the deliverance from physical slavery rather than the deliverance from spiritual bondage. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, like, that's part of the reason we have all this imagery is for these people who were illiterate, right? These people were illiterate. Um, a lot of them, a good part of them were illiterate to help better understand, right, redemption yeah. in a historical sense. Because in Egypt, because the firstborn died, that's why Pharaoh said, get out. That's what caused their freedom to even be had in Egypt was that the firstborn was to die. And that's what sent them out. That's what gave them their, their actual freedom from the bondage of slavery um, in their context. And you follow the Exodus story. Like we just talked about that. But like you have the atonement, which right is the blood on the doorpost, which is Christ as our atonement. And then after that, you have like the Exodus and you have like baptism that's portrayed in the reds in crossing the Red Sea and right Peter makes us gives us that connection. Yep. And the whole story is just intertwined and it's 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 truly amazing. Um 
So, and I was thinking like, this really helps us if we can read the Bible through this historical sense. And like, so if we're reading the Old Testament, right, there's this tendency, and this is going to be good. Now we're going to get into this, King. I know you want to get into this. So we have this tendency to insert ourselves into the scripture and we we want all of scripture to be about us. And there's a sense, yes, that's 100% true. Like the Bible is written for us to understand and understand and know God, right? And so you have the story of David and Goliath, for example, right? And this is this is a good one because the way it's set up is Israel is looking, they're in a tough spot. They got their back against the wall and they're not in a good spot in a military sense. It looks like the nation of Israel could be wiped out, right? And so like that's, that's the position we're in in the story of David and Goliath, right? So what they need is a miracle to, to defeat this Philistine, right? And so God steps in and through the hand of David, he slays Goliath. And obviously David slaying Goliath is nothing that David could have done on his own. It's only through the power of God that David was able to slay Goliath, right? And so when we understand the Old Testament in the sense that we're not David, we understand God using, we understand the sense that God used David to complete his and fulfill his covenant, right? Because Israel gets wiped out and then the Abrahamic covenant of God blessing the people of all the nations through one seed is it's wiped out. So if, if Israel is wiped out in that situation, then God does not fulfill his promises. God is not a God of faithfulness. God is not a God of covenants and God is not the God who keeps his promises. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you can see the story of David rather than saying, I need to defeat my giant in life, which is true. I mean, everyone's got giants in life, but that's not the main focus of the story of David. The main focus of the story of David is a God who is powerful and almighty and can do anything which he wills. That's the main purpose. If we're to insert ourselves anywhere in the story of David, we are one of those timid and scared soldiers who won't stand up to Goliath. Yeah. We're we're the people who know that we're going to perish unless Goliath dies, but we can't do anything about it. Yeah. And it's only because God used David as a savior for the people in that context yeah. that um that the giant could die, that the people could be released from their fear and their bondage from um the philistines yeah and you could use it in a sense that like david was a christ-like figure in that sense because he slayed our biggest giant christ slayed our biggest giant which was like sin and death and david slayed the giant who was their biggest enemy you know mm-hmm. so like you, you you have that you have that sense to understand in scripture and so, like, that's what we would push for hard, like, reading scripture in the sense of who is God and what has God done? How is God redeeming people through this story? But we have to be careful because we can't, we can't look at the Old Testament and use it as a Where's Waldo book of trying to find, like, Jesus in every single little passage of, oh, yeah. like, this has to be Jesus because, you know, the commas in this place and it uses this yeah. specific word, like... Yeah. There's the best way there's we common can, sense. There, there's common that. sense, there's but common sense. the best, the best we can do is to look through church history, look at people who study this yeah. their entire lives and see what they think. Like, yeah. could they be wrong? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But they're going to probably be a lot more right than me as a 21 year old. Yeah, exactly. So in Genesis 22, um, Abraham is told by God that he is to take his one and only son Isaac 
up to um, the Mount of Moriah and sacrifice him. Um, God had blessed Abraham with a son when he was like, what, 100 years old and his wife was 90, I think. Um, And this was after he had already had a son with um, his wife's slave, Hagar, um, which this is... We could get into super technical. I just learned some new things about, um, well, Ishmael from them stemmed Islam and they actually celebrate this as a holiday and it's next week, which is totally different topic because they think, they think Ishmael was the one who went up on the mountain, not Isaac, but Uh that's, you can research that on your own. It's called Eid. Um, anyway, um, but the, Abraham takes his son up there. He literally, like, builds an altar, like, piles up a bunch of rocks, gets wood, and then binds his son, which most people think he's, like, not, like, four. Most people think he's in probably, like, 12. Yeah. So, he's not, like, a little kid. He's, like, probably could be resisting. Abraham's a 100-year-old dude. Like, I don't know what that would have looked like. Um, and, And Abraham is literally about to kill his son that God had blessed him with, which the amount of faith that that would take is just incredible. And it says, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife and they, uh, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So they both went together, blah, blah, blah. He came to the place. Uh, And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And just interesting that do you have not withheld your only son from me? It's the angel of God who, who said, "Do not withhold your son from me." So why? Why could have been Jesus? Why? Yeah. Why would? Why would the angel of God say you have not withheld your son from me? Because you, you don't make sacrifices to angels. No, you make sacrifices to God. Yeah. Just like it's just very interesting. Like it was that actually an angel of God or is that Jesus talking yeah. to Abraham? And. Just I was when I was reading this earlier, um, when Abraham literally has a knife over his son, about to kill him, and the Lord, the angel of the Lord calls down to him, and Abraham says, Here I am. What kind of tone of voice do you think Abraham used there? Would you think it was like like a sigh of relief? Do you think it was like here in I fear? Am, it's like, oh here I here I am. Like, what do you want? Like what I, it's just interesting to think what yeah how did he say those three words here i am just interesting but this is a foreshadowing of when god sent his only son his beloved son to this earth to be slain yeah. um and i could just i can just imagine god like sometimes i personify god too much and clothe him in too much human form and make him look too much like a human and one of, and this is one of those places 
and but in this way i think i think it may be okay and i i picture god looking down and weeping yeah knowing like we think of time as linear and like this happened then christ died but god doesn't see time that way but still like god had to be sorrowful yet proud that that abraham was um was doing this and that's yeah that's just one that's my this is my favorite of like all of the all the places where christ is mentioned yeah and like foreshadowing of like joseph so joseph is left to die by his people his family and then he ends up redeeming and rescuing his family and being the rescuer of his family like that's real Mm -hmm. short and real quick and you can get into more of that but I mean, it's all, it's all throughout the Old Testament. And so I would challenge you guys, when you read the Old Testament, read it in the sense like, hey, like how is God one redeeming his people through the Old Testament? How is he redeeming them? And then say, hey, like is Jesus Christ anywhere in this? And can I see a foreshadowing of Jesus in this Old Testament passage? Because he's there and he's there in a lot of stuff. Daniel, he shows up in the fiery furnace. Someone mm-hmm. appears as the son of man, Nebuchadnezzar says, or one of the guards says. So, I mean, he, he's... There's a lot of uh, parallels of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And read your Old Testament like that. I, mm-hmm. I would challenge you guys to do that. So, King, do you got anything else you want to say to wrap us up here? Uh, Not really. I think, like, we covered it. There's a lot of references. If you want to start somewhere, start and look at all the places in the New Testament. Yeah. And if your Bible has cross-references, read the stories in the Old Testament so you can see the whole picture, the whole context of like everything that's going on there, um, more than just a little snippet that's in the New Testament. Um, yeah, and keep reading your Bibles. It's the inspired Word of God. He's given it to us um, to know Him. Uh, that was, I think, the last podcast I was on. I was talking yep. about Understand Jeremiah, the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Yes, that. God has given us his word to know him um, and he commands us to boast in him. And if we are to boast in him, we must know him. And that's yep. through his word. Heck yeah. So that's my closing thoughts. Glorify God through boasting in him. Yep. Yes, sir. We do. Well, thanks guys for tuning in to another episode of for the rebels podcast. Keep rebelling against the culture and conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Peace out.